Brothers and sisters of Geek Guys Nation, how are you guys doing out there? This is your good friend, Dana Elves, the host of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, where every week, usually on Wednesday at 7 p.m. EST, we break down the last week's news of wrestling. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I, I think we might have to start changing that up, especially with the schedule changing of when the shows are going to be displayed with wrestling. We actually might need to think about doing two shows, or at least a bigger wrap-up show, and Saturday seems to work out pretty well for both me and Chris. I'm waiting for Chris to call me in. Um, I don't know exactly what's going on. Very unlike him um, not to be reminding me about the show coming up. Um, So I'm sure that something just happened. He'll be calling in soon, so I'll just have to keep on checking my phone to look back. But we got a lot of stuff to cover today. I definitely didn't want to not have a show this week. But, yeah, with things starting soon, NXT moving to being live on USA on Wednesday and then going head-to-head with AEW on uh, Wednesday Night Dynamite uh, two weeks later and having Raw and SmackDown and all the news that progresses between those things and then New Japan and the pay-per-views for everything and everything else in there. Um, what I think we'll do is probably try to provide two shows for you so we can cover all the content and kind of break down the shows itself. It's going to be very strange having Raw on Mondays and then SmackDown at the end of it on Fridays and then everything mixed up in between. So, um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, I guess the more important thing is to go over the curtain stuff and just, you know, when when the time comes, uh, handle that you know, that, 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 uh, that schedule, that vigorous schedule of wrestling. I love some podcasts like, Oh my God. They all, by the way, their job, they have, they have done a, they've done a badass job themselves. Some of them came from other things that might've brought fan intrigue, but whatever, you know, that you'll have podcasters for wrestling that they're bitching about like, Oh no, it's more wrestling to cover. It's like, woe is fucking me. Sorry, people. But, uh, you know, if if you're doing this well in this industry and you're complaining about having more work, then I don't really feel bad for you. You know, there's people that are cleaning streets and shit, so shut the fuck up. But that's just between me and you. Uh, me and my beautiful audience of Geek Vibes Nation, um, that's just how I feel sometimes. So, yeah, I guess we can uh, start off with uh, some of this news. I'm going to wait, check one more time, see if uh, Chris has called in. All right, he has it. And we'll go to the first one. Of Ric Flair. So, I just want to say, just completely smear TMZ right off the beginning of this whole entire thing, because I just don't like their way of doing things. I think it's just reality TV bullshit, paparazzi crap, um, over-glorifying stuff, and trying to exploit, usually, celebrities a lot of times in their worst days, and, like, you know, just try to get that, that 
I hate that fucking if it leads it bleeds mentality when it comes to media, and I think that TMZ kind of presents itself as the the uh, reality TV uh, audience based news, if you will. So that's how I feel about those uh, scum fuckers. But you know, other than that, they did pop by and ask Ric Flair, and I don't know really. That's that's the thing that that, that kind of disinterests me even more about their way that they conduct stuff. Their 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 clips always start, you know, kind of usually right mid interview. It seems like they've already been talking to the person and they start recording. So I don't exactly know what was said, but or what was asked in general, because I didn't feel like going back and watching the second time since I saw it a couple of days ago because I thought it was garbage. What was important though was the quote that Mr. Rick Flair said uh, in response to what he was saying, and. I don't do a Ric Flair uh, impersonation, so I'm just going to warn you. I'm not going to do that anyways because of the uh, subject itself. But what he said is, I'm glad that I'm having the opportunity to clear the air. When I first saw this, you know, the man, Becky Lynch thing going down in August 2018, I thought, cool, the man, my gimmick versus my daughter, Charlotte. Okay, that's the day I started right after SummerSlam. I thought, cool. I said, I'm going to make some money. It's my trademark, and they have it to use. I've been saying it's been mine since, I don't know, 1981, Rick explained. So I got my word, worded statement. I, want, I sent a, WWE's lawyer a text, and the lawyer, who just was no, has no respect for me whatsoever, which is something I'm not going to deal with much longer, he said, you're wrong. It's not even close. I said, it's not even close. So, boom, I sent him another text. He didn't respond. So I had my lawyer call him, and he just blew off my lawyer. This is all in 2018 or in uh, January of 2019, so a couple months ago, if you're not keeping up. Claire makes it clear that he has no issues with Becky Lynch herself and that even though Charlotte is upset about this, he feels like he's doing it for her and the rest of his family. It's funny. My daughter is so mad at me because I filed. Not even understanding it's not Becky. I have no beef with Becky. But here's the deal. When I almost died two years ago, one person stayed by me the whole time for 31 days in ICU, 12 days while I was dying on a respirator, and I'm going to take care of her and her family and, and my family. That has been taking care of me no matter what. I don't care what the WWE thinks of me personally. I know they love me, but obviously they have lost respect for me, Rick continues. If I don't win, and even if I won, Becky can have the man all day long. I'm glad, but I want the company to pay me for it because I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to be the man, and if I don't get it, you know what my tombstone will say? He died trying to be the man. Wow. Very uh, strong words from Mr. Ric Flair. Um, it's, it's weird. So, so the way I would break this down is into two ways. I mean, obviously the first one, uh, with just thinking about it in the sense that Rick's, Rick's right. I mean, obviously if he trademarked, which I heard that this is actually the, the, the statement of the man is something he's recently trademarked. And I don't know if it, if it necessarily goes after the time that he you know, brought this to attention. So, um, so he, I, I, I guess he has a trademark. I'm going to assume there's a lot of stuff missing from this whole entire story overall that I'm sure Dave Metzler 
uh, has gone over, but I haven't heard any word on on the details. Look, he popped. I mean, this happened. I think uh, what was it? I think it was yesterday. Maybe it was the day before. But so there'll be a lot more information, you know, in the details of this. So I see what Rick's saying. You know, this is a statement that he made famous, and he definitely brought into his a whole gimmick. To be the man, you got to beat the man. Woo! We've are, we've we've heard that a million times. We've heard that statement said uh, many a times. And 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 I agree with him. If he gave them all the proper, like, hey, what the fuck, and the lawyer were to have blown him off, I don't know if his lawyer is Barry Bloom. I know that's Hulk Hogan and a lot of big, uh, you know, wrestler uh, entities, if you will. Like, that's the lawyer of choice. That's the one that gets shit done for him. So I don't know whose Flair's is, but it's got to be somebody pretty reputable to be, uh, you know, Flair's lawyer. And um, I just, uh, I think that if he made all the attempts to try to do that, that they should compensate. I mean, if this is all within legal uh, reason that, you know, WWE should fork up some cash. Because he's not saying that he doesn't want them to use it. It's like, hey, hello, that's obviously associated with me. That's a saying I came up with. Now, on the opposite side, would you be able to do that to something like, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, the easiest one is someone already brought this as an example on another podcast I listened to with the Hitman. But Brett, would he be able to, you know, probably Brett the Hitman hard is trademark, but would he be able to trademark Hitman? No, that's too vague. And saying something like the man is even vaguer, and it's not even saying his whole entire statement, it's using part of it. So I get both parts when it comes to the legal. Now, now we're going to look into one thing. Is this real? <laughs> the reason why I say this is it doesn't really line up. It doesn't make a lot of sense. If this has been going on for a while, I guess we can just do business. One of his best friends is Triple H, though. He talks about it constantly. He was on Chris Jericho, what, two weeks ago? talking great about the WWE, talking great about his experiences over there, you know, and Hunter being one of his best friends. He was on Austin talking about Harley Race. Uh, or no, no, it wasn't Harley Race. That was That's when he was on Jericho's. But he was on Austin right after seeing him on the show that he was at with the uh, the, the big reunion show on, on, on USA for Monday Night Raw. And he, was, he made an appearance there. He's been making appearances here and there. But we've also seen this weird attitude so I, I, don't, I don't think it's a work. I think this is flair, but it's just weird. It's a very – out of nowhere, it, it's like when he was – and look, I, maybe when he was at Triple H's uh, birthday party, him and Sean didn't talk to each other, or at the reunion, they didn't talk to each other. But he talked a lot of shit about Shawn Michaels and dropped basically a promo on him about a documentary with statements that Shawn made saying that Richard Flair – oh, no, that Rick Flair never got to know Richard Fleer, which is his real name, his real alias – basically him, not the, not the personality that he created, um, just went off on him about that. And Sean's supposed to be one of his closest friends in the industry, so it was very strange with that. And I mean, I'm not trying to say something negative about one of my favorite wrestlers, but he's talking about, you know, I'm, I'm just looking into his statement and analyzing it. And when you start talking about your family, it's like, I get that. It becomes legacy. It's like you want to be able to make sure that Mouths are fed for a long time ago that the flares are helped out. The one thing that kind of objects and goes against that, though, is that we've known that Rick has had a problem with finances for a long time. And what's even weirder is I know for a fact that Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon have both financially helped him out in the past. Uh, he's paid them back, but we, we know that Rick loves to spend. 
and he's gotten himself into some financial issues. And I really hope that after racking up medical bills, that that wasn't the case with this. I mean, he just was on Chris Jericho's podcast praising Vince for taking Harley and getting him home. And then a couple weeks later saying this has been going on. It's just a very, very weird concept. And I'm not, you know, there's too much information now in front of me, and I'm sure there's going to be even more so uh, the next couple days to come about this. But my, 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 my curiosity starts going, and I mean, this is what's going to happen because of what's going on with AEW. Who would make an appearance on AEW that would blow people's minds? Now, I hope he wouldn't just come on and make a stupid, you know, kind of, um, like, don't cut a promo about WWE because I'm not going to believe it. you have that much animosity towards them. And it's just going to be them trying to take a shot at WWE instead of using and utilizing someone like Flair as an appearance. But you already have this stuff going on with Tully and Arn. If you want to build into it, what if all of them end up backing a certain wrestler and trying to prep them to be the best? And you have three of the fucking best when it comes to that. There's different things. Ric Flair, as much as he's known for wrestling altogether, he was known for NWA and WCW more so than WWE. So I, I hope that they're, you know, especially if that they claim to be good friends, they claim to be best friends and, and all that, you know, I really hope that there's not a lot of stem animosity between Triple H and him, and uh, you know even Vince and him. Um, but Rick's going to do what he's going to do. I just find it ironic when he, or maybe it's not ironic, maybe it's the last more said ironic. I don't remember the exact definition, but when he says that he's trying to help Charlotte essentially and his family and and, and his wife, um, but Charlotte's going to get kind of a lot of negative backlash through fans from this, even through the company, I would say in some rights, you know, just some animosity. So it doesn't seem like it really benefits her within this. And she has a right to be angry about it. And what happens if there's drop it Monday, then what does Rick go for? I mean, what was, what was it really worth it is a question. And yeah, they can probably just say screw it and just pay Rick, whatever, just to get it over with. But will that cause more tension later on? Now this has been brought up. So you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Rick is a very uh, unique individual. He's had a lot of issues, um, but he's he seemed like he was in a, in, a, in a very, very good place from just listening to two interviews recently with him in it. So hope everything for the best for the nature boy, and I uh, hope that he can work this out with WWE. But as of right now, it does not look good uh, when it comes to that. So Let's hope that things can happen, but I wouldn't be surprised, just like in TNA, if all of a sudden Rick ends up in the, uh, you know, doing some type of appearance over in AEW. It would be great. Um, I'm wondering if Barnes going to pick someone. I, I guess we'll, we'll speculate about that a little bit down. Let's let's uh, let's keep on going over some news items. Just uh, real quick, guys, uh, just checking something. Uh, I'm kind of getting nervous a little bit with my co-host. This is very unlike him to not be able to make it to the show, and he's being completely quiet about it. So, so uh, you know, if anyone's listening live, uh, keep them in your thoughts and prayers or whatever. I don't want to sound too weird, but you know, it is making me a bit nervous. So I won't lie about that. Let's uh, let's talk about this Chris Jericho thing and a little bit of bubbly. Well, as we will talk about, and you know, and if you don't know and are trying to claim spoilers, sorry, I don't know why the fuck you listen to a show about going over the pay-per-view that you didn't watch a week ago, but Chris Jericho uh, became the AEW champion. He pinned Hangman Adam Page to win the title 
uh, after the Judas effect, a uh, basically a reverse back elbow uh, that knocked Adam Page off his socks and hung the man himself right in the air. Uh, yeah, so Chris won the title. And I loved the whole video afterwards of him talking shit to everyone. They just gave him a live mic and told him to, you know, just say some words to everyone going back with the title and ended up uh, with his uh, belt in his nice little uh, luxury uh, locker room. And there was a bit of bubbly. So he said, I'm going to pull up a little bit of bubbly. And this was coming up everywhere as a gif. And I think that's awesome. That shows why people are bitching. Well, I didn't Adam Page get the title. This shows you why Chris Jericho got the AEW title. It's because he's relevant. Uh, you know, even though he's a wrestler that's what is late forties, he's been wrestling for such a long time. He's built rep. He's known in the rock world. He's known in the entertainment world. He's presented as something bigger. If TNT is going to start broadcasting with different things, uh, having a set video of all these people using a little bit of bubbly throughout social media with this. I mean, there's so much that you can do, not just with the saying, of course, but with Chris Jericho in general as being your first champion. And you get Chris Jericho as a champion out of the way, too, so that whenever he loses it, you don't have to fucking put him on it. He kind of is someone that they're using as a foundation. And I think it's intelligent booking, really. What I don't think is too intelligent is the uh, things that uh, transpired afterwards. Um so, you know, shit happens. That's all I have to say. I'm not going to fucking blame. Chris Jericho's one of my favorite wrestlers. He's smart as hell. He was exhausted. He, uh, I, I, what I think is, um, after Saturday for All Out, he, so he flew back into Tallahassee, um, I believe. So it wasn't, it was in Chicago. And I believe he lives in Florida. So if I'm about to go about that, yeah, Tallahassee's in Florida, right? Guys, someone's out there just screaming at me because I'm making some stupid statements. I'm sorry, I'm tired. My mind's in other places as well, so you'll have to you'll have to bear with me. Um, but yeah, so he flew in and he's like, "I'm starving. Go to the nearest Longhorn Steakhouse, sir." And uh, you know, the the cab driver, maybe or the limo driver, I should say, maybe he didn't know really who the fuck Chris Jericho was. There's a very good possibility about that. You know, wrestling fans got to realize that people that don't know, just like UFC fans, like some people are not going to know who the fuck Khabib is if you saw him in a store, just be, if you don't watch MMA, but MMA fans would know that. Um, or reality stars, for that matter, if they are really fucking stars. Anyways, um, so Chris goes in. Or no, no, Chris realized that the bag that he grabbed or, or the luggage that he grabbed uh, it was the exact same one, but did not have his luggage, so he grabbed the wrong one. So he's like, shit. So I'm assuming what, what was is that he had the title in the – I don't know how the fuck this happens. Had the title in the limo. Maybe he just told the limo driver, like, shit, I grabbed the wrong thing. You need to take this back to the airport and find my luggage and meet me back here. So limo driver's like, well, fuck. Goes in the limo, puts everything you know, in the, the bag – but also, I guess, including the belt. And went back and replaced the packs. <laughs> I, like I said, I don't know if I'm getting the details right, but this whole thing seems like a fucking movie they could have made in the 80s. Uh, and I think the limo drivers should be played by, I don't know, like John Candy or something like that it would be great. Um, but yeah, so get back. Bag's gone from over in the airport. I, and Chris Jericho doesn't have his belt anymore because... 
They made a trip. They made a Toy Story trip, I guess. And they found it somewhere. Uh, it just was a turned in by the police by some dude that said that he got – I don't know what the fuck's going on. So I'm glad they got it. Chris Jericho made the best out of it by making a video and using the bubbly line. But I'm sure that, I mean, in all honesty, he was furious, pissed, but it was a little bit of his fault, so he probably just felt kind of dumb. But, you know, they found the belt. The belt's like, I don't know, like someone told me – I've heard so many different stories. So I've heard thirty grand, I've heard eighty grand, I've heard hundred grand. That's a fucking expensive ass belt. Is is the point of it? So I'm glad they were able to find it. It's kind of funny that you know you're Hulk Hogan, if you will, for this whole entire thing. He gets the belt, he comes in and gets a nice little steak, and Tallahassee's finest, uh, finest finds his belt, and it ends up back to him. I guess that's all that matters. Maybe it didn't end up back to him. Maybe we'll find out there's two belts when they made him a new one. And then the person will have to come in there, and it'll actually be CM Punk who stole it. And then he'll show up with that. I'm just kidding. That is a fucking joke, guys. Don't get too nervous. Um. All right, let's let's uh let's let's keep on um moving on with the next subject. Let me just check real quick. Like a scared grandma. All right, nope, he still hasn't messaged me back. Uh, we're gonna go over a bunch of stuff, guys. All right. Um, where is this damn story? This one's not too good of a story. I'm not happy for either company losing some great female babyface wrestlers, but we found out that uh, Casey Cannizzaro um has left NXT. And apparently wrestling in general uh, because of a back injury that she had that I'm assuming kind of stemmed from something previous to that uh, due to her career in gymnastics and, you know, everything that you've seen her do on uh, uh, American Ninja Warrior. Uh, She is, boy, I'm pretty sure she's still with uh, Ricochet. And it was kind of cool that these two, like, body-defying individuals would be able to have a relationship and – I was really hoping for her. She was a great baby face. Her little spot she did for the Rumble was awesome. But um, maybe things will will change. But as of right now, uh, she is prominently uh, done uh, with the NXT Center. So that sucks. Um, like I said, maybe things will change. The next one's a little bit was really strange how it came out. So during the uh, press conference afterwards of AEW All Out. Tony Khan was asked by the media, like, you know, where was Kylie Ray? And kind of nonchalantly, he just let us know that uh, she asked and was granted her release from AEW contract, that uh, nothing, there was no hard feelings or anything like that. Um, uh, she said nothing publicly about it. She deleted her Twitter and wasn't on it for a long time. Um, and uh, she's been taking. And doesn't seem to have been taking any uh, indie bookings on the horizon. And it might be that she's out of wrestling due to a medical issue. And if that's true, I mean, just for both women, um, I hope that everything works out. And I hope that she's back. Now, with Kylie, with Casey, it's, uh, I think it could be like she just was not thinking of what she was getting into, especially the pain for wrestlers coming from the gymnastics and, you know, her fame for uh, American Ninja Warrior and doing those, those courses. So she just might've been just not in her element. Kylie, I'm wondering, and this could just be speculation, but I'm just wondering, and hear me out. What if she got an offer from WWE and uh, decided to do that instead? 
I'm, I'm sure some of you are already saying like the Bailey ripoff, which I don't think is fair. We haven't got a chance to see her doing this for a while. And, you know, it is similar, but at the same time, if you don't see a lot of comparisons like that, if, if, if there's two male baby faces, you know, providing a similar type of concept. And if it is, it's usually like, cool, let's see the two of them go at it, you know, cause they're similar in style. I'm trying to think of like in my head, uh, something that really catches my eye, but you know, now that I guess even Bailey's a, a villain, it's bring her to NXT, put her part of the women's division there. That would be a very interesting concept. But uh, both women are gone, and I hope that they can work out their situations and uh, maybe come back to wrestling. And just uh, more about if it's mental health, physical health, anything like that, I hope that they find it and uh, maybe can uh, come back. And and throw us with their with their wrestling maneuvers. I really enjoyed Ky, uh, Kylie Ray in the um, um, in the All In. No, it wasn't All In. It was a Double or Nothing in her match, a four way match. I thought she was great. And I really like uh, Casey in the little that I got to see her on NXT and then the previous in the Royal Rumble. So we'll have to wait and find out. All right, let's switch to a really fun subject. So there's been a little bit of rockiness um, with the creative uh, over at SmackDown. And uh, basically, due to the reception, which is crazy. I don't, I don't think – I think people were confused. But if you're – I'll have to just get into it. So we have uh, Ed Kosky, who's replacing Ryan Ward. Uh, Ed Kosky was Raw's main writer. He will now be going to SmackDown as a lead writer under executive director Eric Bischoff. Um, and this was all reported by The Rap. The Rap is a great source for information for not just movies, but also wrestling, very much like Uproxx. They're, they're a pretty good source, too. Um, but anyways, uh, Jonathan, uh, uh, I think it's Baker Storm, the former lead writer of 2.5 Live, is fulfilling uh, Kosky's lofty raw role under executive director Paul Heyman. Paul liked his work, wants to really use it and get in his head and try to create him. You know, I mean, I'm not trying, I'm not saying that he's trying to like, you know, make another, um, was the case of Polsky is, is, is evolved in Ring of Honor previous. Uh, but Paul Heyman's smart. If he sees someone with potential. Now, I don't know what the hell that means uh, for the former writer, but apparently not only that, um, we had another issue now this is a writer that's this is a writer that's been working with the company for a while. That apparently the doppelganger thing for Eric Rowan, uh, that was his idea. But you know, with Ed Kosky, I know that he's known for a couple of good things that have happened recently. I'm pretty sure that he worked specifically on the um, uh, what was the the male woman, the, the mix mix match uh, challenge and whatnot. And then, even though I didn't get into it or anything like that, I know that it was received well by a lot of fans. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen, uh, to Ryan Ward. Um, apparently that just really soured it. I know the thing is like, like I keep on saying is that a lot of people are putting blame on Bischoff, but we've heard reports from, from Dave Metzler that Bischoff is more, yeah, he's there, but I, I think that, that Bruce Pritchard has been helping him creatively work more on the creative stuff so that he is more the liaison and in charge of working and interacting with Fox and WWE as a whole and being that person, making sure that SmackDown has a good transition onto the new network. So blaming him, that I don't know if is really fair. And this is a situation where we heard that some of these were rewrote the day of. So 
I don't know what Vince thought he did that made it much better, obviously, if that one specifically with the doppelganger, he rewrote the day of, so why did he keep it in there if that was supposed to be it? It's a lot of a lot of craziness. Even with Vince not there, he's still there. I mean, we've all talked about that. We, I also know that uh, it's not been reflected positively on Eric because he had one of the writer, one of the main writers from because he's obsessed with biking. Uh, one of the main writers uh, joining from um, what the hell was that biker television show? Oh man, I can't remember. Someone would probably want to punch me in the face for this. It's got Ron Perlman and. Uh, Charlie Hunnam. Oh, Sons of Anarchy. One of their head writers was one of their new writers that Eric recommended, brought in. And, um, you know, I'm sure it's a really, really taxing job, but Michael PSA's doo doo found him asleep <laughs> after one of the meetings. So I guess, my guess is that he was exhausted. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to, you know, say anything bad about people or anything like that. It just, Sometimes situations happen, and uh, that didn't make Eric look good either. So I don't know. I really still don't know from, you know, like I said, Dave's statement, if Eric is – Eric says differently. But if Eric is, is in charge of creative and some of this type of stuff is happening, yeah, he probably needs to get on it a little bit more. But if he's more supposed to be taking care of the relationship with Fox and, and, and SmackDown itself, then it seems like they need a permanent person in charge of SmackDown that's more a part of creative. And if Bruce Pritchard is going to be that person, I'm completely content with that because I think Bruce is good. Or take Gabe Spolsky from friggin' uh, Evolve. I hate to say that, but, you know, I mean, there, there are lots of options. I wouldn't put the double load on, uh, on uh, whatchamacallit, though, uh, Paul. I wouldn't. That, that would be a bad idea to me. Uh, so... I don't know. Just food for thought. They need someone that's creative that's, that's in charge of wrestling. Eric always – he had a lot of good ideas. He had a lot of bad ideas, but he also had a crew of people that he was working with creatively, one of them being um, – and I'm not saying we have got the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, and get him to come in, but there were other creative people for wrestling that could do that. So it's, it's a strange situation, but, yeah, apparently there's going to be some changes there, and uh, we'll have to – see where that goes exactly, but I don't like hearing that people uh, try, there's a little bit more information about this, did not get back to request and comment so yeah, there's no information, oh, we know that Brian James was basically that person, he said fuck that and went down to NXT so maybe they'll find someone again Road Dog was really writing good Smackdown, maybe, maybe Vince should probably be like hey, sorry about that James why don't you come back because, you know, like I said, let Eric be the liaison. Let someone else be able to be in charge of creative for SmackDown if that's what they need to do. Uh, I think that Ron SmackDown, and, you know, people are going to fucking tell me their way, but I don't really give a shit. If you ask me, creatively, Ron SmackDown have gotten a hell of a lot better. If, it, you know, for people that are going to be like high in wrestling, and I'm with you, I'm, I'm in on the wrestling, um, and they're going to sho- shove New Japan in my face. It's a different form. I'm talking about the week-to-week, storyline-driven wrestling that builds up the pay-per-views that WWE's already been known for. I think for the most part, there's been a lot of compelling stories, whether it be Kofi Kingston and, and uh, Randy Orton or now this, this, this struggle for power within the, the four horsewomen or, or you know, even who, who shot JR, the, the fucking old concept that they did, or who shot Mr. Burns that they did with Roman Reigns. And I don't even know if it's done. And then the fiends, you know, I think creatively they're, they're they're actually getting a lot of good stuff. Vince is getting less associated with it. Yes, he has a final say, but I think they're doing a lot of smart things 
what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks for them is going to position them in another direction some way or another. So I guess we're kind of good to talk about the apparent draft that might be happening as reports from all this. So let's, let's, let, let, this, is just, this is a rumor, you know. Dave Metzler is the one that's, that's backing it up. Um, and I think John Pollock of Post Wrestling also reported it. But apparently they're thinking about doing a draft uh, soon after, um, I think it's Hell in a Cell. Um, and even better, they're going to be getting rid of the wild card. Here's the question I have. Since you're premiering NXT in two weeks live on USA are you going to have this superstar shakeup draft or whatever the fuck you want to call it, including NXT wrestlers as well? Like, leave the option for certain wrestlers to stay where they are, but shake up certain people within rosters to show up on different platforms. That is the question that I have mainly about this. Uh, the draft will start on the Friday, uh, October 11th episode of SmackDown, finishing following um, Monday on the October 14th episode of Ross. This is really, really soon. Is it, is it going to be after? I'm getting all my reports, by the way, from Uproxx. Usually I've already been able to reanalyzing it, but not having a person to bounce off of doesn't give me like a chance to uh, get to all that, the, the fine, fine print that you guys love. But thank you, Uproxx, for being such a great, uh, just great at really breaking down subjects, I guess. But I think this is going to be good. This is going to be potential for a lot of cool things to happen. And I kind of hope that they include NXT within this. I kind of want to see certain people shift. And just you don't have to do the whole entire roster, but let Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff, and, and, and you know, uh, Paul Levette, a.k.a. Triple H, really break into who they would like to see change and go through everyone. Um, like, who, what, what superstar specifically would you like to have? What, what type of thing are you going for? You know, part of me wouldn't mind the club essentially ending up on SmackDown to let Eric kind of, like, if he's going to – if he is, you know, like I said, conflicting reports. If he is, kind of be able to pump a little bit of that juices of having that faction like that, you know, on SmackDown of an NWO-type faction. Um, it's going to be very interesting. I would love one other superstar that's got enough good graces, if you will. Actually, if you were to take Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode, no, they're on different platforms. They're on, and I kind of want to keep, I don't want to change up too much. But I'm just saying, I think Randy Orton and the Revival could use one more member. I'm not exactly sure who that could be, but kind of like a little bit of a play on the four horsemen type of concept would be cool. We'll keep them as a trio. doesn't really matter. That's also uh, well and done. But I think the trio is more important for them against the New Day. After we get past that, though, I would like them to stay together and maybe get a fourth person to really cause a dominance within the ranks over at uh, over on SmackDown. But uh, like I said, these are all, I think, cool concepts coming forward that's going to shake up and shake it up and change. Shake it up. Shake it up. Ah, ah. Oh, God, Vince. Uh, shake up the very fabric. 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 Fabric of our lives. Bounty. I'm so tired, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, the the very very fabric of the uh, you know uh, Raw SmackDown WWE in general it's going to change a lot of things and um, I'm looking forward to seeing that and where it goes I'm uh, I'm very curious 
And I would not mind if we saw Velveteen Dream pop up on Raw and maybe saw someone like a Shinsuke Nakamura go back to, to not go back to, but come come home to NXT, basically. There could be a lot of cool things that you can do. So I'm very, very happy about that. Where, where do we get? All right, so I, I guess before we go into the state review of uh, NXT um, UK Cardiff, we should talk a little bit about the – the, the, the pay-per-view uh, main event named for Full Gear and the first challenge to Chris Jericho for the, w, the, for the AEW, not the WWE, the AEW World Heavyweight title. That will be Cody Rhodes. And a lot of people were up in arms about this, and I have to disagree with you. I think this is a very smart move. I, I didn't see Chris Jericho potentially having a title match on any of the shows on TNT, maybe the first night, but they're not going for that. They're doing that tag match, which, which I think is going to inevitably the elite, inevitably be the elite. God, this is going to be one of those days. Inevitably be the elite going against LAX or the former LAX, uh, Sonata and Ortiz and Chris Jericho. So that's going to be on the first night. That's fine. So if that's not happened the first night, there's not really a good reason for him to, you know, defend that title. Like, we can have in the future the, the, the champion himself defending, you know, trying to have a match, but the title should probably be saved for pay-per-views, I think. Very rare occasion should it be on the main shows on TNT. So, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. But uh, Cody going against Chris Jericho, I think, is smart. Um, they've had Kenny have a fall from grace angle. He's lost a lot besides the tag match that he had with the Bucks. And coincidentally, I'm pretty sure the Bucks have only had one other win besides the one they had with Kenny. Could be wrong about that. But they've lost as well, taking both of them out of consideration for the heavyweight title picture as of right now because they're trying to make it so that wins and losses matter. So when you have Kenny, he's got to build himself back up and get back to that level because those guys all don't want to put the belt on them uh, because they're they're in control of the company. It just seems a little bit uh, cheap. Achieving that. But Jane, what's going on with Cody? Cody is 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 doing so well. They're gonna keep that going for him, the momentum, but they're going to take him out of the title picture by being the first loss to Chris Jericho as a champion and putting him back down a ladder ladder so that he has to climb back up as well for another championship shot. And maybe having an interaction with someone that causes it, maybe it being Sean Spears. We had all that with MJF, possibly. Um, Dustin, you know, they could do a lot of different things of why he doesn't win to Chris Jericho. I'm not saying do a screw finish, but if it's going to help the storyline, I don't mind those. I, ha- I hate them when they're constant and they're for without reason. That's my biggest thing is with, you know, screw-up finishes, someone coming in, whatever. But if you did have a thing where MJF, where there's a ref bump, and both Jericho is laid out and Cody's laid out and MJF comes in with a chair and looks like he's about to take out Jericho and he waits for Cody to get up and, I don't know, DTs him into it. You can't make it too reflective of what Sean Spears did to Cody. But at least that happened after the match. You can do something similar is all I'm saying. Maybe he has brass knucks. He's about, he, he makes it look like he's about to take out Jericho. He takes out, smiles, takes out Cody, and then leaves him and causes him the match. Cody then gets in a program with that person, whether it be MJF, Dustin, whoever, and 
takes him out of the title shot picture. So I think it's actually brilliant booking that all these guys seem like they're trying to take themselves out, but they're going about it differently in the singles division between Kenny and Cody. I'm down for it. I think these guys are pretty smart. So that brings me. Hey, doctor, what are you doing? That's what my friend decided to text me just now. Well, I'm on a podcast, so I can't talk to you. Hold on, guys. Let me get a little drinkage of water. I've been pretty good so far, but I think every 40 minutes. Apologize you having to hear that. Well, I apologize you having to hear that, but let's uh, let's go over. Since we've already been talking about the uh, the pay per views of, of AEW's um, all out, let's go over the results of that. All right. First match was the 21 Women Casino Battle Royal. Um, I'm glad this did not give me a breakdown of the actual women when they came out. But I will say this. Overhaul of the Battle Royal itself. Um, Nyla Rose won. So she is a dominant force. She is a heel. She's tough. Uh, she's pretty damn agile. People don't give her that credit. She, she showed off some really cool shit. I believe in the Jacksonville match, I don't, I don't remember, but she was doing you know, high-flying-based stuff and just showing a, a, an array of offense that I, I thought was pretty damn cool. But I will say that this appears to be an awesome female wrestler. Now, when I say appears, some of these aren't even signed to AEW. So some of them, you know, like Snell Dashwood, a.k.a. Emma, she's signed to Impact. A lot of these are not signed in, so... It's cool, but and it makes it look like a really badass female roster. But at the same time, though, you know, there's uh, it's 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 not a lie, but some of them aren't aren't going to be there. You know, they're they're in. Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, says uh, Martinez is still in sh- either Shimmer or Shine, one of the two. So who knows? We'll find out. But Bea Priestley, uh, Britt Baker, Leva Bates. AKA Blue Pants, who's doing the librarian gimmick. One of the cooler things they did with uh, her and uh, Peter was putting down books so she could climb on them Kofi Kingston style to get back to the ring. I thought that was actually a pretty cool spot. Fabi Apache, one of uh, awesome wrestler from AAA, someone that can they, they can do stuff with for sure, but is not going to be a full-time member of their roster since they have a relationship. Uh, Priscilla Kelly, which I like seeing her out there. That's Darby Allen's uh, fiance, I believe. Maybe his wife. I don't remember exactly, but that would make sense, but I don't know if she's signed somewhere, you know. Um, she could be signed, for all I know, to some type of organization. We had Chandra Royal, uh, Penelope Ford, who I had a great showing. Uh, she's beautiful and super athletic. Um, Shazam McKenzie, big swole Ariel Monroe, awesome. Uh, Sadie Gibbs and Bea Press, uh, Priestley, apparently they kind of started getting a bit um, uh, shooting on each other. And if you don't know what the term shooting is, but like actually getting into it and fighting. And um, I don't know if it was B or replaced her. A lot of stuff happened very abruptly and fast. I couldn't tell. Or Sadie, uh, you know, forced her basically to be eliminated. And the other one got pissed, waited for her in the back, and they both got in a confrontation. And I think got physical. That got had to get broken up in the back. So that's interesting. But uh, B uh, Presley, Awesome wrestler. I like how her and Britt elaborated on the fact that she she got concussion last time. I don't know if it was it was if it was Beast's fault or anything like that, but um, you know it. As soon as Britt went out there, she went right after her. Um, 
Then, of course, Brandy Rhodes, Ivelisse, awesome, from fucking, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, damn it, uh, Lucha Underground. Tanel Dashwood, like I said, a.k.a. Emma from WWE, and she's a part of Impact. Uh, awesome Kong, Ali, Nicole, Savvy, uh, Teal Piper, uh, Roddy Roddy Piper's daughter, who did a couple uh, Piper spots, and that was pretty awesome. Jazz, who looked fucking awesome with her shaved head. Uh, fucking four-time WWE Women's Champion. Has a record for WWE uh, uh, or the NWA Women's Championship for uh, holding it. ODB, which was so cool. I've met the lady in person. She's really awesome. Mercedes Martinez got a huge pop. She was 21. Um, but, yeah, Nala Rosewood, uh, she eliminated uh, Eric uh, Britt Baker uh, because she Britt eliminated B Priest. Uh, oh man, this is just hard. Britt Baker um, eliminated uh, B Priestley, and she pulled a you know a, a Hulk Hogan grabbing Sid Vicious and eliminating him. Except for the differences in this, Priestley is supposed to be the heel playing the Hogan concept, and Britt uh, you know being the uh, the psycho Sid. So whatever. Uh, that's just a little shot at, even though I love Hulk Hogan, that whole entire concept. Hey, man, I got a win, brother. Um, so, yeah, great showing, like I said, of female competitors. I will say that's a bit misleading, like I said, because certain people are not signed anyways. But it makes it look like if you are able to acquire a lot of these talents, you're going to have one hell of a females division. I mean, I think Impact and Shine, I would say, specifically have some awesome females on it. Uh, so, even if you can do partnerships like this, though, to feature their women wrestlers, that's great. But, you know, even though you have a pretty good core, um, you're missing people like Rosemary. You're missing people, obviously, like Tessa Blanchard, which is Chris Jericho's number one choice for someone outside of WWE uh, to come into the company. You know, and obviously WWE has a ridiculous women's company um, overall. So I, I'm uh, – I'm, it's uh, it, it was interesting. I thought that they were kind of sloppy in the setup of certain people getting eliminated, or maybe it was the camera angles. I people just got eliminated out of nowhere. I mean, it it, it seemed very abrupt when Brandy Rhodes got eliminated. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Till Piper when she got eliminated, you know, uh, Emma uh, she got so much. Tanel Dashwood um, on the way down, and then she was just eliminated out of nowhere. Uh, a lot of it was like, so what was the point? I thought Penelope Ford shined. Uh, I thought Ivelisse shined. I thought uh, B. Presley shined. I thought uh, a lot of people did really well. Awesome Kong was great. I was hoping that Aja Kong would be on there to be another, you know, roundup. But instead they kind of did that with her staring down, ODB staring down Jazz, staring down Mercedes Martinez. thought it was really good. Like I said, I wish that it wasn't so abrupt and distracting when people got eliminated and there was a little more story involved. The battle rolls are hard. I don't like this way that they do it with five, then five, then five, then five, and then one other person. But if they're trying to be different in the Royal Rumble, I get it. All right, let's move on to the next match. We had Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy, private party, going against Jack Evans and Angelico. Damn good, fast tag match. I mean, these guys are basically like light heavyweight tag team style division, if you will. They both can move extremely well. Um, just within the ring, private party won, which made sense. And then Jack Evans and Angelico kind of gave a little bit of a a heel turn. Uh, not a little bit. They gave a heel turn. They gave a little bit of spice to this match by turning heel 
and you know now they're not they're not messing around. So I think they should have traded this tag match with the tag match that was featured on the actual card. But who am I to judge? But we'll get to there. The first match on the actual official thing was SCU, which is Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky uh, going against Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, and Marco Stunt. Basically, great match. Luchasaurus is so fucking athletic for someone his size. It's pretty ridiculous. Like, it's, it's extremely impressive. Um, but he's a big, big dude. Um, and uh, I just thought that he did great. I thought Jungle Boy did great. I thought Marco Stunt uh, performed at the level that he's going to perform. I'm just not the biggest fan. I'm sure that I'll get better. It was really cool some of the things that they set up move-wise with the three of them since there's such a height difference even between Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. Um, Kazarian, what a badass for the ending uh, for getting both Stunt and Jungle Boy up in the BME uh, this is pile driver Kazarian, best metal ever, basically. Uh, and Kazarian just doing it and uh, allowing Kazarian to pin Stunt, who makes sense to get the pin loss if you're going to out of that team. I would not have had them lose. I think SCU's actually had a pretty good amount of wins as a unit. And Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, I just feel like Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy specifically, Jungle Jack, if you will. People are bitching about JR calling him. Who gives a fuck? If he wants to call him Jungle Jack Perry, just do you have anything fucking better to bitch about? Like, I can't stand some of these fucking people out there. Oh, he called him Jungle Jack Perry. Just, oh, my God, man. People had different names. Who cares? Maybe he's trying to give him a little name that JR gives to him that's one of his things. Fucking bitchy-ass people. He's just a little out of touch. You're a fucking little out of touch. You should fucking go and touch some fire. God damn. Fucking put, put yourself out. Some water. I don't fucking know. Anyways. But yeah, pretty good showing. Good way to open it up. Next match probably was my favorite match of the night. And apparently both guys hated it, which just shows you the perfection at the level. And it, Chris Jericho mentioned this on um, on uh, Top is Jericho and just talking about the event and how just how much Pac and Kenny and remind him of of Eddie and uh, Benoit basically, and how they were just no match was good enough. Everything sucked. And these guys put a lot, you know, they didn't have a lot of time to work on it. It was kind of abrupt uh, with the news of, of John Moxley. And, you know, a fucking Pac lives over in, in the U.K., so I'm sure that trying to get this all rounded up and together, I, there, there's only one box spot, and I think that JR, even though it was a little silly, kind of covered for it well. I'm sure there was more if you really su- fucking put underneath the microscope, more, 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 spots, more spots, I should say, that were fucked up. But we had a spot where, where uh, Pac tried to do the reverse Arana on Kenny and he kind of missed him, grabbed him by the shoulders and Kenny kind of forced himself to go around. And that was fine. Uh, JR said, Oh, you know, that was obviously him trying to trying to do it, but he's the, the men are sweaty, which probably is part of the reason why it happened. So here's my thing for people that need wrestling to be so crisp and precise. It's not fucking, it's not a dance when people kind of minor league fuck shit up. Like, not like it doesn't look perfect, basically. That's good, because that's something that would actually realistically happen. And and people that are, like, so wanting it to be choreographed, it's like, just fucking watch CMLL, like, all day long. And I like CMLL. Don't, don't get me wrong. But they're the ones that kind of, like, just make sure it looks like a very, very precise, technically an aerial, aerial-esque driven 
you know, sports contest that everything's precise. And that's great. New Japan's known for that as well. But it doesn't have to be. And that happens over there in any of those organizations as well. So either way, criticism by the wrestlers themselves, criticism by uh, fans. I thought the match was fucking great. I thought it was awesome. I thought that both guys are good. I will say I'm a huge Kenny Omega fan. Kenny, his facial expressions are good. Sometimes he can have a over-the-top, I've heard Cornette compare it to Ultimate Warrior, but I compare it more towards, like, anime. Like, he'll look like, you know, like Goku trying to, like, Super Saiyan or something like that. And sometimes it comes off a bit cheesy. Sometimes it comes off more like Ric Flair. Like, Ric Flair's ridiculous intensity and his eyes and that, 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 that crazed look that he would have in the matches that Charlotte mimics very well. It, it, it borderlines, and sometimes it can make it look a bit cheesy for American audiences, at least. And you know what I think—I don't think it's a problem. But when I see Pock in him, and Pock, the way he is acting around and talking and and saying stuff, he comes off more like a like a wrestling superstar to me than even Kenny does, because Kenny needs to work. He's worked for a different company. He's worked for a different style, different art form. He's used to you know, a certain audience perception and what they do over there. Uh, now it's much more about personality within the match, uh, showing them more so something like that than coming off like an anime character. So I'm not, Kenny Omega is still one of, if not my favorite wrestler in wrestling. Um, but criticism or criticism is, is not really, not necessarily do, but I'm, I'm going to give some type of constructive criticism. I mean, I would, Kenny's fucking incredible in the ring, but Impact apparently did not like this match. And uh, that sucks. Like I said, it might have been my favorite. All right, the Cracker Barrel Clash. We had a hardcore match. Jimmy Havoc going against Joey Janela and Darby Allen. Right off the fucking back. Jimmy Havoc tries to make it all crazy, but then gets fucking knocked around by Darby and Joey. Tied up with... uh, what was it? It wasn't. It wasn't duct tape and it wasn't grip tape. It was uh, I don't remember. It's like that black tape. But no, yeah, they they grab uh, Joey Janela, that sick bastard, grabbed a bag of what would be thumbtacks, put it in his mouth, uh, being Jimmy Havoc, and then they taped his mouth shut. And I think he had a super kick. It was it was pretty fucking crazy. I think the biggest spot that was was the nuttiest was Darby Allen. Um, going to the outside, doing his his reverse. I think it's called a coffin drop, where he just basically just falls, kind of free falls on him, just on the spine. He's used to doing it on the apron as a uh, spot, which terra just holy fuck. But he did it with a barrel underneath him, and uh, I think Jimmy moved out of the way, and he just ate shit. It was a fun hardcore match. There's some stuff that I'm just not that level of hardcore. I don't like staple guns. I think that type of shit just a bit over the top, but um, my biggest problem with this match, though, to me, maybe this is just giving him a win right now. To me, it should have been Janela or especially Darby Allen that won this match. I think that they could have used it the most. Uh, I, I'm just, I still, I like his music a lot. I think his music sounds like a fucking Marilyn Manson song, um, and I think it's badass. I like his look coming to the ring, but he looks like a guy that works at a fucking bowling alley in Detroit. Like, I I just don't get it. And, um, yeah, he's tough. 
He's a good technical wrestler. I've seen him do some of that British, uh, you know, British technical style, the hooking. Uh, but not a biggest fan. Uh, still a fun match. Next match is the one that should have been on the pre-show. The only reason it's not is from the reveal at the end, I guess, which a lot of people were underwhelmed. I was, I actually thought it was fun, but Dark Order won against the best friends. Evil Uno and Stu Grayson went over. Chucky e. T and Trent. Uh, after some interference with the Creepers, the Dark Order were able to win with the Fatality, the Gory Bomb, Flipping Neckbreaker combo. Uh, by winning, they received the first round by in the AEW Tag Team Championship Tournament. After the match, the Creepers attacked uh, the best friends, but Orange Cassidy showed up, did some of the things, like also like doing a uh, reverse plancha uh, over the ropes with his hands in his pocket and just helping out with the best friends, and all of them hugged. I like Orange Cassidy. I think it's actually a cool concept. I know that a lot of people have a problem with it. I I think who cares? It's, just, it's his gimmick that is that he's so badass and slick, and he's also kind of so lazy that he's not going to give you his full, you know, uh, fighting style until you actually prove it that he needs to that he needs to you know escalate the situation. And I think he does a great job with it. I I, I like it. Uh, it it wasn't the greatest reveal. I think people thought that CM Punk was going to show up, I guess, in this fucking match. I guess if he was willing to just come over and, and do a promo, if that was his introduction, but they're not going to do that. They're going to fucking say that for, like, coming in after the Chris Jericho match or the fucking Kenny match or the Cody match. You know, like, that, that was totally unrealistic. But I had a friend, Michael Hoyt, that was there uh, with another friend of mine, actually, uh, Jeffrey from Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Show Live. Go check that out, guys. Um that were both there, and, you know, the audience was kind of like, who is this? Who is this? So that's fine. This match, though, I don't I don't get the new order. I don't get Evil Uno. I don't get – they're not like The Undertaker. They're just kind of silly. I know they're trying to go for, like, Nintendo characters, I guess. Um, I mean, their original name was Super Smash Brothers, and he kind of looks kind of like something in a fucking Mario game. But he kind of also, you know, also looks like an SMM, SMM, SNM character, like – from fucking, uh, fucking, um, uh, Pulp Fiction. I forgot what the character's name is, but he just looks weird. I'm just saying. And that tag match on the pre-show was pretty fast-paced and fun. This was definitely, like, a started making me tired during this match. Uh, so the next one is because I don't have as much, you know, knowledge of the two ladies, and that's not really fair or their fault. So we have Rio going against, um, Kuru Ashida. I thought both... Wrestlers did a really good job. Uh, Rio for being, I think Jim said she was 98 pounds. I don't know if he was joking about that or if he was being serious. She's teeny. But I like that she could be potentially like the Rey Mysterio of the women's wrestling. You know, like this this smaller wrestler that does these amazing matches. And she was showing some great stuff. She was beating the shit out of her throughout the whole match. Rio won with the cradle. By winning, Rio will challenge Nyla Rose to become the first AEW Women's Championship on the, uh, so, what is that, September, no, October 2nd episode of AEW on TNT. Now that came out, was licking her lips, and they had a stare down, and uh, it will be interesting to see what happens with that match. But, um, yeah, not too bad. And then I think it started getting a little bit, you know, sloping upwards. You had Cody going against Sean Spears. It's a great back-and-forth match. You had MJF in Cody's corner. You had Tully Blanchard in Sean Spears' corner. The guys beat the living hell out of each other, gave each other uh, just 
you know, a fun back-and-forth old-school wrestling-style match. Same stuff I think you're going to see in the new NWA. Well, it's, it's been like that, but once they start progr- uh, get the uh, weekly television show out. Um, but it just had some interference by Tully. You had a part where Tully was threatening to come in the ring, and MJF was going to beat his ass. And Tully did this thing where he comes in, and he's putting tape on his hands, and then he gets directly out when MJF gets in, and then he comes around the other side of the turnbuckle and comes in and gets in his face, and they start going at it. Well, it would end up with MJF getting taken out and falling outside, and, and uh, I think it was Sean Spears. Yeah, that's right. He gave him a super kick to the back of the head, I believe. He rolls out. Tully starts beating the shit out of him on the end. Tully is 65, by the way. Keep that in mind. What a fucking awesome badass. Well, his old partner from the Brain Busters and the uh, Four Horsemen, uh, uh, Arn Anderson, who works creatively in the back now, he used to in WWE, comes out and still the best spine buster in the business, gives Sean Spears spine buster. Tully's ejected by Earl Hepner. Tully walks up also just completely dazed and confused on why his old partner screwed him over. This is the type of stuff I'm talking about. I wonder if Arn's going to back up a certain wrestler like Tully did and they're going to clash now, or if it's going to be about Cody and Sean still. I don't think so. It's weird that Sean lost, but now I know because now Cody's going for the title because he's had such a great track record, so it makes more sense. But afterwards, you did have a moment where MJF was behind Cody with the chair, and we thought it was going to happen. And then he went and you know gave him a hug and stuff like that. I don't like MJF being a babyface manager. I, I don't like that at all. He's a heel, so they need to start that feud sometime soon. Because if Co- if I mean, dude, he looked as weird as it is with Cody as a babyface, he's really good as a babyface. He, when he gets like a heel, he has like certain qualities that the Miz and, and Ric Flair and a lot of great, just this douchebag who's who he'll, he's ruthless. He'll fucking do what he has to to win. Babyface wise, though. He definitely goes into the Hulk Hogan, the Sting, people that I know he was influenced by, his father, that were these super gigantic baby faces that showed all this intensity, and they put on such a great match. They might not be the greatest technical savvy or aerial crazy fucking wrestler and do all these crazy finesse-styled shit with their body, but they know the in-betweens, they know facial expressions, they know intensity, they know how to fucking give a great working punch, they can do some cool stuff. And that's what they incorporate. And I think that Cody really takes that and does well with it. And, uh, yeah, him and uh, Jericho, Sean's now down one. But I, I, I find it interesting making him a heel. I really do. Because Sean, the one thing he had, you know, Sean's talked about so highly by so many of his peers being, he's been around for a long time. Whether it be Samoa Joe, I've, I've heard talk about him, um, Cody, uh, CM Punk, at the interview that he did at Starcash, which I will say was a really great interview. I'm, I'm sure people wanted to know information of how I felt about it. I think it just set in stone how Punk feels. I could see something happening potentially. It seems like he's in a better place mentally when it comes to wrestling. He's not so grudge-filled, although he was amazed that people get off time to go get married since he got, uh, you know, a, he got fired the day of his wedding. But, um, it was a great interview. I definitely recommend anyone if you can try to obtain it somehow, go listen to it. It was it was it was some good stuff. But I don't think Punk's gonna be coming to AEW. I would have loved it if it was all bullshit and at the end he came out and I know people were waiting, but that's just how it is. But anyways, they talk very highly about Sean Spears' performer, the whole great in ring hand and how that, that if you look like someone like even like going from 
a uh, Kurt Henning to like a Dolph Ziggler. That that's actually a term that can be pretty deadly towards a wrestler's career because they don't ever get to get taken to that next level. They just know that, or the the promotion just knows that they're good in the ring and they can make other people look good. So him going heel because of that statement from Cody organically, I like that storyline. But I will say that Sean, his size, the fact that he's older and trying to make it, uh, obviously him doing the the ten thing and connecting with the fans, he seemed to have the babyface thing going for him. And it's very it's it, it's interesting that it is the opposite. I feel like if they had tried to go with the babyface, and since DDP so organized with the company and kind of was like, why don't you be the everyman that no one thought could do it? You know, keep on projecting that concept. There's a lot of similarities there between the two of them. We saw DDP come out with Cody. I know that he's involved in some ways. Well, he's doing so much stuff with his, uh, with his um, DDPY program, which is awesome, helping so many people out there. But I think if he, if he tried to harness or, or Cody let him work with them, Sean would be a very viable baby face again. But we'll have to see what happens with this heel run. It's interesting. Uh, then we had a fucking crazy ass match <laughs> uh, between for the uh, AAA uh, championships, the tags for the Lucha Brothers going against the Young Bucks. And what I thought happened happened. Lucha Bros lost. Or no, the Lucha Bros won. The Young Bucks lost. They're put down. Now we can see them more trying to go for the actual tag team championships. Triple A's championship is on technically their wrestlers with uh, Phoenix and Pentagon. I like the story they told. It was a bit unbelievable at parts, but it was like what the brothers, even though they care about each other, if you will, what they're willing to do instead of saving the other to get the other one to be defeated. So this happened a couple spots reverse style where you had tables set up on the ends and ladders set up where, you know, coincidentally, because they are so similar in style, they would set them up for the same spot, which is a little bit cheesy, I will admit that, and then would realize that the other side was doing the exact same thing, and then you had a part where, I think it was Matt Jackson was about to go through a table off a ladder with Phoenix, and Pentagon was about to do the same thing with Nick. They saw each other, realized it, were thinking, kind of made it look like they were about to go after the other, but they just didn't have enough time. They both said, screw it, and they went through the tables. A lot of fucking table spots. A lot of ruthless, ruthless table spots. And just, holy shit, man. That was, uh, that was intense. It was. It was a very, very intense match. Um, and it would end, end up with after a million. I mean, they did a fucking Canadian Destroyer through a table. And Matt sold it a hell of a lot more than uh, Leo Rush did by flipping perfectly. So he, even though he went through it, he didn't like smash his neck directly on the landing. He flipped over so he could just kind of have his forehead hit it. Still not good. Uh, I don't know if it was Nick or Matt. I can't remember who went through one of the tables because he lost, uh, he hit the rope and just went head first through the table. It was, it was nasty. There was a lot of fucking crazy spots. A lot of ladders broke. Inevitably the Lucha Bros won. Afterwards, Satana Ortiz came out. Um, what's that movie? Keanu Reeves and fucking Johnny Utah. God dang it. What, anyways, they had the uh, Richard Nixon and JFK, or JFK and Bill Clinton masks on. Uh, beat the crap out of Lucha Bros. Beat the crap out of uh, the the Young Bucks. And revealed themselves as Santana and Ortiz, formerly of LAX. And now, one of the new tag teams in the division. One of the best tag teams in the world. I mean, the only tag teams that AEW doesn't have, really, are the Briscoes, 
the Usos, the Revival, the Good Brothers. I mean, I'd say New Day, but that's really fucking impossible. That's never going to happen. I mean, they have fucking everyone. They have all the Devon Eriks, I guess you could throw in there as like a cool name to have a part of it. Man. Oh, and of course, Grills of Destiny, too. I definitely should say that. You could say Sonata and Evil. See, there are some big-name tag teams, but they have a majority, and it's like it's going to be impressive to see what they put together with this tag team division. And if they're able to cherry-pick any of those other names I just mentioned. So it's very interesting. All right, then we have our last match. And I heard some complaints about this. I thought this match was fucking awesome. It was, once again, very similar to Cody's match, like something that's much more of the old school, I guess, fabric. But then you also had fucking uh, Adam Page doing standing shooting star presses and doing one off the apron into a code breaker and all these great fucking spots. And I thought Jericho looked awesome. I like his new brawling style. He's not as crisp as he used to be. He's fucking, he's getting older. And he's still able to put on a great match. Uh, He won the title at the end of it. I knew that. A lot of people are mad. Like I said, that Page didn't win. We already went into that. Page is going to be an awesome built baby face. I think this match did what I wanted it to do, which was make me care more about him. He put in everything he he had. Jericho got busted open. Uh, Well, he got kicked. Then he went under the ring and cut his uh, above above his uh, eyebrow a little bit too deep, but whatever. Um, And afterwards, he started crying, and I felt like that was actually him. Like, think about this. Chris Jericho was told to fuck off way, 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 way in his career when he was on fire in WCW. Completely put out the flame. Went over to WWE. You know, at first was going against The Rock, kind of just fizzled for a while, and then won the WCW and the the WWE Championship, being The Rock and Stone Cold in one night, being the first undisputed champion. I mean, so many accolades. The great stories that he's had, you know, with people like like, uh, Kevin Owens to Shawn Michaels, man. I mean, it doesn't matter. And all those accolades. He goes over to New Japan, becomes their IC champion, goes in there against their champion, loses, but still puts on great matches with Kenny Omega, comes to AEW. He's their first champion. He's their poster boy. It makes sense. He's known. He's going to get people that were like, oh, I remember Jericho, to come and check out this product. He's probably not going to have the championship too long. He might have it again way in the future, depending on what goes on. But it's good they got it out of the way because it's going to help them in the long run of him being the first champion now when they're starting things on TNT. Overall, thought it was good pay-per-view. Um, definitely thought that my least favorite was the uh, Best Friends in Dark Order, uh, if I'm to be completely honest. But a lot of the other stuff I liked. There were things that stood out that weren't as good. I would uh, be careful about about animals with, with Pyro. I don't think they did anything with the horse. But beforehand, I know that... I, come on, get off get off Cody's fucking balls. He doesn't, he, he's doing so many things at once. He's had his dog come out with him in every fucking fight. This one, the dog got freaked out by some late Pyro that they just didn't think about. Shit happened. I don't know if he's ever going to bring his dog out. I don't think it should come to that level. Just There's little things they're going to learn as going on as a company that they need to get better at. Camera angles, shots, getting from side to side, like so many things. But once they have the television, we're going to find out. So there's that. Now let's go over the next 
uh, pay-per-view. Uh, I will all say, I didn't get a chance to watch any of the other pay-per-view besides the Kazuchika Okada title match against Minoru Suzuki on uh, the uh, British uh, pay-per-view. I think it was in Britain. I thought it was Rev Pro and them. Could be wrong. But I got a chance to watch that main event. It sucks with the audio issues. Don't give Kevin Kelly shit for stuff that they didn't even know was going on until it was. But, because um, honestly, pound for pound, him and, Mano- him and Moro Ronaldo are probably the most efficient and I would say uh, bring the most uh, credibility towards uh, just being the main announcer for their programs. Um, in my opinion, I know a lot of people, there are annoying like inflections that both of them do, especially uh, Moro. But I think that both – I think that Kevin Kelly is actually number one. To me, him and Don Callis was the best tag – or was the best announcing for, for a long time. So him not knowing that his voice sounds ridiculous within the quality of it, it sucked. The streaming quality kind of sucked, but the match was fucking awesome. And Kazuchika Okada should be just – I mean, like I said, dude, someone who has influence from greats from, from Japan like, like Kenta Kobashi and fucking uh, Misawa – and then also American legends like Shawn Michaels and fucking Kurt Angle. You know, that type of wrestling ability. And it's like he's from the, the, the sweat of being an entity like Hulk Hogan uh, circa 84 to like 88 where he was just dominating and won every match and just winning and being the best champion and, and you know, just the track record, how they're pushing him. And then also having the in-ring match quality and also like – the the uh, the best in the company, the best match performer, the one that can go an hour, like a Ric Flair. So it's like you take those two entities of the 80s, the, the, the in-ring entertainer and the in-ring performer uh, of Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. And, of course, they were both good on their other part as well, obviously. Smash them together. Kazuchika Okada. Influenced by Kurt Angle, Masawa. Shawn Michaels and fucking uh, Kenta Kobashi. Like, and, uh, and of course, an array of other wrestlers, too. It's just, he's such an incredible wrestler. He's a, he's a very interesting cat, man. Um, and I think, I, think, I think Chris is here. I don't know. Um, let me, let me, let me uh, he just messaged me back. But go like that I'm putting over Akata so much. Oh, he was having some sleeping issues last night, so I guess he kind of dozed off and didn't even realize it and just woke up. Um, Kind of wrapping up the whole entire thing now, though. That's the only thing that sucks. I only have this to talk about. But anyways, um, yeah, it's just Okada's incredible. Suzuki is, is from a different build. I mean, he's more of like that guy that's the intimidation levels there, that Jake the Snake Roberts, that Austin. That, that Abdul the Butcher, that face that he gives Samoa Joe, that, you know, that, that type of person. But he's actually was a legitimate badass. This guy beat Ken Shamrock three fucking times in MMA. You know, he's just, he's a monster. And uh, I thought that they did, um, I thought they did a great job, uh, you know, doing that match. I, I thought it was, it was awesome. Oh, I think that we have Mr. Sleepy Pants himself. Chris, yeah, how's it man. going, sir? Did you enjoy your nap? I did not. I, I actually didn't get to sleep last night and uh, was trying to stay up for the show. 
and didn't make it, man. So I apologize to all the good people out there. <laughs> Fell asleep sitting in a it, chair. It's all right, man. I was actually just putting over Okada, so I said that it was appropriate that you messaged me uh, finally back when I was, uh, you know, putting over his match with Suzuki. Um, so I'll let you know we went over all the news, and I also went over all out, but I'm still about to do the NXT pay-per-view. Did you have any words that you wanted to say about either, you know, all out? Um, any 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 comments? Yeah, I thought all out was a really good show. Um, there's a few matches that I wasn't huge on. One I'm going to get uh, criticized and probably crucified for, which was the uh, the the tag team. Uh, ladders, the table ladders and chairs match, or the ladder match, I guess, with the Young Bucks. Um, it became very spot fest for me, especially where they were looking, uh, specifically looking at each other for certain spots and, and the double tombstones at the same time through the tables. Uh, it, while it was a good match, worked. It wasn't my favorite match that those two teams have had together. I could see where people could really like that match a lot, but it, it wasn't wasn't a bad match or anything. It was just one that I didn't much care for. Uh, and then for as far as, like, highlight matches or things that I really, really enjoyed, I liked the Cody match a lot. I thought that was a, a really fun match. I thought Luchasaurus looked like a bazillion bucks and is super, super over. And um, just overall, uh, I was a – probably my favorite match of the entire night was the, the Pac-Omega match, which I thought was incredible for, for what it was especially knowing that they didn't have as much time to uh, build on it storyline-wise. Yeah, so Chris Jericho actually was really uh, letting everyone know that. He just said that Kenny and and Pac, you know, knowing them for a while, you know, Kenny more recently and Pac when he was Neville in WWE, they, their personalities are very similar to, he said, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, that they hated the match. It might have been mine and yours, one of our favorite matches of the night, but since they didn't get enough time to work on it and that that fuck up with the reverse Arana from, from uh, Pop to, to, to Kenny, like apparently they weren't mad at each other. They just were very harsh and critical on the match itself. Do you think it makes sense, and you can comment on the other thing, but do you think it makes sense that we're doing Cody versus Y2J at full gear for the championship? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where you have to go. They've put Cody over strong in all of these matches. He's really the only person that's built, in my opinion, is built um, strong enough to be really challenging against Y2J. I think that was the one thing about the uh, Adam Cole-Y2J match that fell short for me was the fact that uh, I, I – and as we've talked about it on the show Cage previously, I didn't think – Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, God damn it, too much NXT. Uh, uh, Hangman Page, sorry. Uh, the one thing that I felt uh, felt about with him is that they didn't really do a good job of making him look like a big star or someone that we should care about as far as someone challenging for the title, for your first ever title, uh, as opposed to Cody Rhodes, who I think is, the, is pretty much the face of their company. So him going against Y2J, especially with you have, you're going to have four weeks of TV before your next pay-per-view uh, I think that pay-per-view is going to be in November, if I'm remembering correctly. So they're actually going to have like four or five weeks of TV. Uh, I think there's an interesting story to tell there. So I- I'm looking forward to that. I don't know that 
that Cody necessarily needs to win in the first match or anything, but uh, they have built him strong, so that main event to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I did like the uh, Jericho uh, hangman match quite a bit. I, like I said, I think the biggest thing was the story that they told going into it didn't make to me, never made it feel like Kingman had any chance of winning it uh, versus Jericho. And I think that hurt the match as well as uh, just simply not uh, just the position it was on the card and it it had to be the main event match, but there was just, you had the hardcore match before that. You had the Cody match before that. You had that crazy ladder match before that. And then Jericho and, and and uh and won the Pac match before that as well, but then you just had like a standard almost a WWE type title match a little bit longer. And I think that kinda hurt it a little bit. Yeah, I do agree. Um I think it was a it was a damn good pay per view though, and I uh I did enjoy it for the majority. Um and we'll have to see. I just think and I think me and you are both gonna go into it uh with the next pay per view. Is I know that I guess it's it's not cool <laughs> to uh, put over a, uh, a wrestling pay per view from a company I don't watch definitely or haven't been as least invested as AEW, but I kind of liked if if I have to compare and everyone wants to throw shots at NXT UK uh, take over Cardiff. Look, I'm not going to just be a fucking biased AEW fan. I'm not going to think how do we allow the building to form foundations and build itself before we claim it's the tallest building in the fucking world. You know what I'm saying? Like with AEW, that type of shit pisses me off. Those type of fans that are toxic really aggravate me. I mean, there's them in every breed, but it just, I'm sorry. If I know that there's a different amount of matches, but if I were to take the best matches and there were a couple, like I said, stinkers, I think on the AEW one that, like I said, the fucking, the one with the Super Smash Bros or whatever the hell you call them and best friends I just didn't really care for. Uh, if you take the best matches, I think that Cardiff might have been a stronger pay-per-view. And I definitely have been investing myself in the wrestlers, a part of AEW, more so than UK. But I I know that's not the popular thing to say. I know that's not the cool thing to say. But Tyler Bate versus Walter was the best fucking match out of the whole entire weekend. I'll even put it over Akato Suzuki. I thought it was fucking amazing from start to finish and they outdid their progressive uh the progress world heavyweight champion they did about a year and a half ago which was fucking crazy so i'm just saying you can like all different forms of wrestling and base base your judgment on the merits of the wrestling company ron smackdown have gotten better as of recently nxt has always been pretty goddamn good uh i've heard fucking claims recently that that Forgot which 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 uh, podcaster was. I wish I could fucking remember. Um, but he was saying that NXT was better a couple of years ago, like the Dusty era, which is a great era. Don't don't get me wrong. The the Kevin Owens Shinsuke, but if, if that makes me think you just don't watch it on a weekly basis, and, and maybe you watch takeovers once in a while. That's just a stupid fucking. I, I'm not saying it's better than Dusty's, but the Shawn Michaels era, as which I call it. Is, has been incredible. So I think he has no problems based on who they have there and what they've been doing as of recently. But NXT is great. The UK thing was great. AEW is great. Just enjoy good wrestling. I, don't, I, I just don't understand that toxic nature of fans that have to fucking just divide it. So much shit. Oh, yeah, well, 
blah, blah, blah was better. Dude, Tyler Bate versus Walter was a great match. Before we go into pay-per-view, I had to get that out. Uh, Chris, do you have any response to what I just said? Maybe you don't agree with me. I have no idea. No, I do agree with you, but I do agree with some fans to the extent that NXT, to me, was probably at its height about two years ago, a year ago. But they also had some really big names there um, during that time period. And they, they lost their primary writer because Paul Heyman, um, one of their primary writers slash bookers, Paul Heyman kind of took that guy, which I, I think you talked about on the news probably, uh, who just got recently released. I don't have the name right in front of me, uh, but Vince is shaking up that entire writing crew, which I'm not going to say is a huge thing because, like, like I said, like, it's not like NXT has been bad. Uh, but, I mean, he had Kevin Owens, he had Sammy Dane, he had all, all of these people – who were definitely Ben Balor, Shinsuke Nakamura, Samoa Joe. Yeah, uh, Bobby Roode to some extent. They've done a lot, um, especially if you think about the fact that their their roster was kind of uh, I don't know, say raped, but uh, let's say let's say Viking raided. <laughs> they moved up like. 12 people um, that they had storylines built around, including people like Heavy Machine Ray and uh, the Viking Raiders, a.k.a. War Machine, and our, uh, authors of Pain and Ricochet and Aleister Black, where they didn't really have anything for them to do on the main roster. So I think, it, you know, to that extent, it's a, it's a little unfair uh, to NXT well, I'm just saying, comparing it year to year. I'm just saying, like, comparing era to era, like the last, I don't know, three years of NXT, like, like I said, the Shawn Michaels era, Versus the Dusty era, even if based on what the Kevin Owens and all them, they might have been a, a, a bigger level and really might have been overall better. I just don't think it's been a huge dramatic drop with your Adam Coles and your Aleister Plaques and your Velveteen Dreams. Like, I think that's kind of an outrageous concept to even fucking – like, I don't know if they're going to maintain on TV because, you know, they we don't have our Kevin Owens and blah, blah, blah. That's, I, I just think that's stupid. I think they've – maintain themselves even after losing a lot of big people each time. Yeah, and I mean the one thing about them going live is what they have on TV is probably not going to matter because they're going to end up doing a draft. Uh, like that's already been been announced. They're doing a draft for Raw and SmackDown, so I'd assume NXT is going to be involved with that. So whatever roster we see, I hope so. This thing goes when this thing goes live on Wednesday. It's not really going to matter. Like you, you may see like Cesaro in NXT, for instance. It's really just about how many hands are uh, in the cookie jar, and if they let them book that show the way it is. My my biggest worry, as we've talked about in the past with NXT, is you're going from a tape format where you're kind of stuck with whatever storyline you have, which I think makes them create some very intelligent and, and longer drawn-out stories versus, hey, this is a fucking live show, and now we can rewrite it on the fly. And that's usually WWE's biggest problem. But yeah, there's not a huge quality difference to me. Um, as far as errors go, and, and you could even point to like the fact that NXT is probably more popular than ever, and uh, the, the fact that you know their two their their biggest main events have been Adam Cole, Bebe, and Johnny Gargano or Ciampa and Gargano, even though those aren't the names that you would expect to hear that about. Like if you have Kevin Owens and uh, Samoa Joe, <clears throat> both coming from your honor, you would think that that's your big money type match that you could build to, but it you know. Not that Gargano and, and Chopper were ever bad. I'm just saying they they turned that into a really great storyline with a really really great payoff and great matches. Chopper is probably what, one of the best heels 
uh, I've seen in a really, really long time as far as what he was able to accomplish in NXT. And I, I think Adam Cole's doing a great job. So it's not like, to me, it's just it, that, that comes down to preference and who you like as workers more so than the actual error itself because neither of them were bad. NXT has been good for a really long time. It's definitely the current NXT product. If you're comparing it to Raw and SmackDown, it's like heads and shoulders. If you're a diehard wrestling fan, you want to see good matches and hear like actual wrestling stories as opposed to like what they do on Raw and SmackDown. It was, it's, it's head and shoulders above like what they do on the main roster most of the time. So from that standpoint, I mean, at that point, it's just a pissing contest, and if you like the Dusty era better than the current era, and I would say they're kind of one and the same because you had a lot of the same people running it. I would be worried about the fact that you know the writer that was there during all that time period just got fired from the company and what that reasoning was. Yeah, that's, we we went over that uh, interesting concept. Do you have um, any statement for uh... – how do you feel? Uh, I know that we haven't gone over the, the pay-per-view, but NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff versus AEW All Out. As an overall show, <clears throat> I liked All Out better as an overall show. But to me, the highs on NXT UK, which I was pleasantly surprised by, were higher. Like, the match, the matches themselves were better. And like I said, I think that you're going to have that debate whether people think the the latter match is better than pretty much anything that happened that weekend. But to me, that Walter versus Tyler Bates match was fucking phenomenal. They went 43 minutes. They did some things that pleasantly surprised me in a sense that they, they did spots that I've spots that you see wrestlers do, but you never actually see them do it the way they did it, which when you get into the match, I'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, yeah, I, you know, that trios tag match they had, I thought was absolutely fucking phenomenal. Um, while I like stuff on both shows, it, I, you know, for a show that I kind of didn't have anything going into or, or any like super excitement for other than seeing the Walter match, I was really, really um, happy with that NXT UK show. Um, but I liked both pay-per-views. I would just say like if you're just talking about like top matches, I thought that NXT UK um, had two of the top matches of the weekend. And if you're, you know, if you're going for which of us are going to have the best wrestling matches um, and, you, and you're looking at just like top matches I thought the NXT UK brand probably pulled that off a little bit better than uh, All Elite Alright well let's uh, let's go with this pay-per-view um, Alright so the first match that we had I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit a, a bit of a head scratcher of why this was on the main card because they've been building up Piper Niven versus um, Oh gosh, she just came to NXT. Um, she just showed up and went against Shayna Bay or got in the face of uh, Rhea Ripley. But they had been building up Rhea Ripley versus Piper Niven for a very, very long time, and they this, they literally put this match together the day before. But I'm a big Travis Banks fan. Noam Dar is a damn good in-ring wrestler. I thought they had a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, back and forth match. And uh, Dar pinned Banks after hitting the Nova Roller. Uh, just a good match to start things off. Nothing to drive home about. Chris, what did you think about this first match? Yeah, I thought it was a good opening match. Um, much, much like you said, nothing to write home about. Your, it, it, it was 
exactly what it needed to be at the beginning of the card. Um, I like Noam Dar just fine. I just don't think he's like a top. He's never going to be like a top tier guy. So putting him in the spot, I think is is was probably fine. Um, nothing about the match was egregious or anything. It just it for whatever reason it didn't really hold my attention. Uh, yeah. Outside of that, I, I, you know, it was fast paced, some good spots, in uh, and, and a good place on the card because you can build from it. But it wasn't anything that like I was like, holy shit, I need to watch that again. Yep, I I do agree. All right, so then, then we had Cesaro basically let it be known um, by uh, interviewer Radzi that uh, he was here and he was here to fight. He didn't care who. He just called anyone out. And uh, coming out to that challenge was one of the bigger guys in the UK. And what, I don't mean bigger in, in height, not making fun of him or anything like that, but like he's been getting a lot of par- uh, popularity from how they've been building him was uh, Isha Dragunov. Uh, and uh, Dragunov is a very, very, especially like Chris, I don't know if you watched um, NXT UK and saw him being built. He kind of had like a Goldberg streak where he was beating people. But based on his size, it's like I I got elements of like, it was like Mother Russia's ultimate warrior meets like fucking early 90s Bob Backlund, just like menched together in this weird package. I actually dig... And I also did dig Sean Spears. I dig the the contacts. But um, he didn't – Dragunov actually lost to Cesaro, which made a lot of sense. But it was a fun fucking back-and-forth match. Lots of hitting, hard-hitting as hell. Um, and Cesaro hit an uppercut and then the neutralizer for the pin. After the match, Cesaro came back to the ring and then made him – everyone think that he was going to attack Dragunov, uh, but he shook his hand and pulled him uh, into a hug. And you could tell that – I'd love to interview Cesaro to find out what he said exactly to him. Probably like, keep on going, kid. You got something going. Um, I think he's going to stay as a big person in the UK, and I, I wouldn't doubt if we see Dragunov versus uh, Walter within the future. What, what did you think about your first – well, actually, I have no clue if it was your first scene, but what did you think about this match and uh, uh, Dragunov in general? I think Dragunov is interesting, and I feel like you definitely have some platform to build off of. Um I kind of want another Cesaro Dragunov match. I thought it was a really good match, and I want them to flesh that storyline out. And uh, with what they've been doing with Cesaro on the main roster, like if I was him, I'd be like, "Hey man, I want to want a fucking match with Walter," <laughs> which we'll get into later. Um, but I think there's a lot that they can do, and uh, I agree with you. He is kind of like a uh, like a Bob Backlund. He's playing that 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 role really really well. I think that was, like, one of the best comparisons I've heard for him, actually. So, yeah, I enjoyed this match a lot. I thought it was better than the first match. And uh, it's good to see Cesaro put into a situation where he can succeed. And uh, hopefully they utilize him better on uh, NXT than they have in the past because I think what they've done with him so far in NXT with uh, the match he had with um, the the previous match he had on pay-per-view in this match have been way more meaningful than anything he's done on the main roster. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. But uh, Ilya Dragunov, man, he's a, he's a, he's an interesting cat, dude. And uh, we, we saw yeah, and, and in I, the like audience. I, I automatically hate him. I automatically hate him because his name's Ilya, and it reminds me of Ilya Kovalchuk. <laughs> so there's some hard <laughs> hatred there already. 
Well, I wouldn't want to fight him. He looks like he could rip my head off, or at least he looks like it because of those crazy contacts. But uh, we we went yeah, to the sure. audience and we saw um, UK legend Adrian Street with his wife uh, Miss Miss Linda uh, in the crowd. Andrew was wearing an NXT UK tie, um, and I think that he's helping now over at the uh, UK Performance Center. Uh, they had like a little 30-minute documentary, which I watched. Uh, cool to find out. This cat, it's very – I don't know exactly what happened with him in WWE, but it seems like – and they ended, inevitably, uh, Vince basically created the gold dust gimmick as like a little bit of a – with uh, inspiration from Adrian Street. But it seems like him and Bruiser Brody were two guys Vince wanted, and – they didn't inevitably come to the company that could have been huge power players. I went and checked out an awesome match with him and Randy Savage after the dock. Um, but uh, yeah, just a cool legend. A lot of people don't talk about from Britain. They always talk about Billy Robinson and they always talk about obviously William Regal and, and Fit Finley from the newer crowd, but Adrian Street's someone they don't touch on. And he kind of, I don't know, brought like this flamboyant concept that you would see from certain wrestlers, even now with Velveteen Dream. Uh, any any comments about Adrian Street? And did you get a chance to watch the documentary yet, Chris? I have not got a chance to watch watch the documentary, so I won't I won't speak too much on that, obviously. But uh, Adrian Street, uh, a great performer all around. In in some ways, he reminds me a little bit of like the UK's version of Dusty Rhodes as far as like his flamboyance and kind of his overall character. But he's had, he yeah. had some absolute, absolutely great matches over there. Like you said, um, I don't know for sure. Is he not in the WWE hall of fame? And if not, do you think he's going to be a possible inductee now that they're showing him kind of on TV? Because I don't know that he's in the hall of fame. And I think that's one that you could make a strong case for. Absolutely. I would say that that's, he isn't, I don't think he is, and if not, he needs to be. But then again, they're basing it off of, I could see if he's really a coach for the uh, UK Performance Center, but if not, he doesn't technically have much involvement with WWE. Then again, they inherited so many people that didn't have involvement at all that they put in the Hall of Fame. So we'll have to see. Yeah, um, I mean, they, 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 put in, they, they put in like Fez and, you know, a bunch of classic wrestlers. And if you're going to have a UK brand, it would make sense that, you know, just because he didn't draw dick for WWE doesn't mean that he's wasn't a huge hey, star internationally, you know, look, they, like they inducted Stan it, Hansen. Yeah, exactly. And I think mood is inducted too. And, and here's the thing. If they don't have Johnny Saint, if they don't have Billy Robbins, Billy Robinson, especially because of his influence through wrestling, or Adrian Street, they definitely need to get those British wrestlers in that Hall of Fame to be credible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it is. Is Christopher Adams inducted? Like, I think about how big of a no, how big of a deal he is for training people, especially in that Texas era. I mean, like he trains some of the fucking legends, like Sean, like Shawn Michaels has drawn so much from Christopher Adams. Same as I think Stone Cold went to his actual wrestling. He, he taught him. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and he, he really invented think the super about kick. It, he's one that, yeah, I mean, he's one that should be inducted right away, especially when you see yeah. how many people are using the super kick, and he was really the first guy to get it over. It's crazy. I definitely agree with you on all that. Uh, so we saw Trent uh, Seven helping out Tyler Bate for his match, and then we went into an awesome match that I was not expecting much from uh, with Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster going against the champions of Grizzled Young Vets and the members of Gallus, Mark Coffey, uh, Joe Coffey's brother, the third member, and also Wolfgang. Uh, awesome fucking match. 
going 90 miles a minute, but still take, telling great stories. Uh, I love that it seemed like you, you, you wouldn't expect Andrews and Webster to win, but they kept on clearing the ring, making sure every guy's down and just not getting that damn pin. And it happened a couple times. I love the ending where we had all the guys, or at least we had the Grizzly Young Vets and Mark Andrews and, um, and Morgan Webster bolt down the ring. And then you remember, oh, shit, and Gallus gets up. They start annihilating them immediately in the ring. Uh, inevitably, it would be a um, whatever, whatever the thing that Ricoch- Ricochet does for his finisher uh, by Flash Morgan Webster for the win. And the new tag team champions, Mark Andrews, and Flash Morgan Webster. I rewatched this match today. It was fucking awesome. So fast-paced, but also proves that you can have a fast-paced tag match, even with three tag teams, and still have great storytelling, if you want to fucking include that detail. Now I sound like Jim Cornette. Chris, help me out. No, I agree with you 100%. I think, like, from a storytelling standpoint, they did a great job. And one thing they did that I loved is, like you were saying, where they're clearing the ring out, and they're not just content with no one being in the ring. Like when they're going for the pin, they're actually yelling like, Hey, you need to cut this guy off and make sure I'm able to get this pin, which seems like a very simple thing, but you never see wrestlers do this. It, the, it, they're pointing out the fact that someone might break up the count and making the kick out mean a lot more, which to me adds drama to the match. Um, I like Gallus a lot. I, I've always thought Wolfgang could be someone that, that could shine for sure. Um, this match overall was just really, really fucking fun to watch. Uh, perfect spot on the card. There's not anything negative I really have to say about it, and I usually hate trios matches. It, with, when you get this many guys in the ring, there's a lot of shit that can go As wrong a lot of times. Uh, but this one was really, really fucking fun and definitely one of the highlights of the weekend. Like, I would pick this match to watch over some of the stuff that was on the All Elite pay-per-view. I picked over the, some of the stuff to watch on the New Japan pay-per-view. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, definitely go fucking check it out because I thought it was a really great match. Absolutely. Afterwards, we saw Tony Storm in the back. She looked a bit emotional. Uh, the whole thing with her and Kaylee Ray is that they trained together. They are best friends together. And now Kaylee's bringing up Tony's past about her father abandoning her to really make the story drive home of – it's fucking up Tony's head that her best friend is, is screwing her over so bad. And now inevitably, when we get to their match uh, after this next one, we'll see the results from that. But we had Joe Kofi going against Dave Mastiff, the leader of Gallus. Just, this match was fucking ridiculous. At the beginning of it, Dave Mastiff, and I know obviously everything's set up, but Dave Mastiff threw Joe Kofi into the, the, uh, the corner so hard that the top – Part of the turnbuckle, along with the ropes, clean came off the fucking thing. Uh, that would be used as a weapon throughout the damn course of the match. I mean, they went, they brawled everywhere. It was a last man standing. Um, naturally, they went up all over the arena and broke up multiple tables, as well as one on top, on the top ropes. Uh, in, in the final moments, both men fell about 10 feet and threw two tables. They both struggled to stand while leaning against a wheeled travel crate, but Kofi kicked out a crate on Mastiff that he was leaning on, knocking him to the floor and giving him time to give Kofi the win for the last man standing. I thought that was very clever. I saw people complaining about this. It's like they both got it, and he's like, nope, fuck you, and knocks it out, and it's like Joe Kofi won, and uh, I hope they do something with him. I know he lost to Pete Dunne at the last takeover for UK, their first one, but he's a good power player. I honestly would have Gallus, as in Wolfgang and his brother, turn on him and put him back to that fucking awesome 
gimmick that he had of the Iron Man. You don't have to call it the Iron Man necessarily, where he's dressing up like he's William Wallace's warrior, but it's all different colors that he picks, and he's this monster, and put him back in the main title picture. I think that it sucks that they stopped that. I know it's too much on the nose of like an Ultimate Warrior tribute, but it really isn't, because he was fighting people like Kurt Angle back then, and this was like two years ago. So my little nitpick, just based on me seeing him in ICW and progress in the past, but I thought this was a fun last-man-standing match. Both these guys are fucking monsters. Chris, what did you think? I thought it was a great match, and in the intro spot that you're talking about there, I didn't know if that was planned or not, but even if it wasn't, they were able to work it into the match so well that it didn't bother me. Um, I think, you know, there were some risks in this match that I didn't think necessarily was needed, but it's also coming on the heels of that trios match, even though they kind of broke it up with some some segments in between. Um, so they had to do something big because that match was so, so good. Uh, I think it's a great match. And I think you're right. You hit the nail right on the head with Joe Kofi. I, I kind of prefer his old gimmick as well. But the concept of like, you know, Gallus kind of his own brother turning on him. I think there's some interesting storylines you can come out of there. Um, almost if you think about like what they could have done with the shield, if they didn't do what they did. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think that would be, you know, all that stuff is, is really, really interesting. And in the match itself, I thought it was pretty good. I, it wasn't my favorite match of the night, but by it's probably in the top three, um, more so, more so towards the, the third match, I would say. I will agree. I, I agree, man. It was, it was one of the fun ones. It was definitely a good last man standing, which are also hard to pull off. After that, we had before the women's match, uh, the, we, we saw that Tegan Knox was in the crowd and uh, apparently she's healthy. Um, her knees are both good and she's going to be coming over to NXT UK uh, soon to get involved in the women's division. Might be one of your next opponents. If Tony storms going to the main uh, NXT, which I really feel like after this, this night, it looked like Trent Seven, Tyler Bate, maybe Tyler Bate will have another storyline. I don't know. But it looks like Trent, Tyler, Pete, and Tony, they might be coming over to NXT for, uh, for USA. I, I don't know about that. But anyways, we had Kaylee Ray go against Tony Storm. Uh, Kaylee Ray, like I said, her best friend, who's a heel on this. They've been together forever. She turned on her. She went after her title. Uh, she started bringing up personal stuff from their past, including her father abandoning her and just adding all these layers to it. I still just was not invested in Kaylee Ray. And even though it's Tony's coming to NXT or staying, I didn't know exactly why they took the title off of Tony. Not saying it wasn't a good match. It was. It was a pretty damn good back and forth match. And they tried to build it up in like two or three weeks. It just didn't really have as much, uh, uh, too much on my, me caring basically about this match. But after kicking Storm in the head, uh, Ray hit the gory bomb into the top rope and then quickly hit it again onto the mat for the pin. Tony was seen weeping outside the ring as Kaylee celebrated, making her your new women's UK champion. Chris, what'd you think? I really like that they actually care about the titles enough to cry if they lose them. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go ahead and put that over. Um, I fall into. I try to watch highlights from the NXT UK show just because we're watching, I mean, if you really think about it, we're watching All Elite, New Japan, Ring of Honor, um, Impact on some It's week. ridiculous. It's just there's one, that this brand I don't always get to, same with 205 Live, even though, unless I hear that there's something really, really great. So the same with the story, like you said, um, 
they really put that over in the match. And maybe if you were a diehard NXT fan, this match was a little better, I would think. Um, but yeah, not my. It wasn't a terrible match or anything. And just, it's, I think because I didn't have that background of the, the build up towards it, even with like the little like highlight segments that they showed, um, and, and just kind of like I know who Tony Storm is. I'm really familiar with her, but Kylie Ray and, and kind of her build, I'm not as familiar with. So I think that hurt the match for me more than anything else. Um, and it felt on the show, it felt like a very very WWE match as opposed to a lot of the other matches on this card, which to me felt, I don't want to say indie, but more like something you would see in Ring of Honor or in the indie scene as far as like uh, their work rate and stuff where you can, the story's not as important. And I think they did some great jobs telling stories within the matches, but uh, this one here was like very, very story driven to the point where I think I would have liked it more if I kind of knew the background of it. Absolutely, and uh, I'm sure that Kaylee Ray will be good as a heel um, champion. I just feel like since Rhea's gone, and I'm pretty sure unless Tony's going to stick around for a program for a rematch, um, she also might be gone. I would I would expect Piper Niven to be taking that title off of uh, Kaylee Ray pretty soon in the future uh, because she's fucking awesome. Or Jazzy Gabbert, who's now also there. They have a lot of good female wrestlers. Uh, let's get to the big last match, Chris. Uh, Walter going against Tyler Bate, the first NXT UK champion going against the current NXT UK champion. Um, and they had a fucking match. Like I said, a year and a half ago, they had a match for the progress title that Tyler took Wal- Well, Walter took Tyler to the limits, but then Tyler came back and almost beat Walter and Walter finally fucking got him. And it was an awesome match. I think it involved Tyler giving Walter a, a power bomb. I think he outdid it in this one by getting a standing suplex. This match was nuts. It was 40 minutes, but it was long, hard-hitting. They did everything. They did chain wrestling. They did a lot of power moves where Walter was just tossing Tyler around, and then Tyler would get the better of him. Tyler is so fucking strong for his size. It's ridiculous. It really did give me, obviously, the level of wrestling. It was a different, different completely overall but gave me a Hulk Hogan under the giant vibe between the two of them. The way that Tyler kind of like does his comebacks to me is similar, but it's amazing because of his size of how small he is. Um, Jim Roth actually compares him to uh, the the eighties, the uh, late seventies, Bob Backlund, uh, just being a smaller guy. You wouldn't think was so fucking strong. And I can see that quality within him as well. Um, but so impressed by this match. Uh, inevitably uh, after a hard fought match, there was countless near falls, and, and, and Tyler came very close to winning several times. Once both men were incredibly beaten down, Walter hit a clothesline so hard it flipped Tyler inside out and finally got a three count. That, 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 uh, that, uh, whatchamacallit, that he does that because he's a huge Kenta Kobashi fan, um, Walter. Huge fan of Walter, man. Dude, it, Chris, it's like you take little parts of Kenta Kobashi, little parts of Vader. And his maneuvering, um, Chris Jericho uh, said that he reminded him of, uh, of Tully, or not Tully, um, Bam Bam Gordy, um, Andre in the 70s, uh, Arn Anderson, just all wrapped up into one package against Tyler, who's, he did a standing fucking suplex. And I mean, yes, it wasn't perfectly stood up in for a long time, but Walter's way more enormous than him. Like, great match. Afterwards, <laughs> Walter stood victorious, left the match with his song. 
getting booed, which is great because he's such a great heel. And then um, Pete Dunne and Trent came and celebrated. Tyler started crying. They kind of all started, and they had like a uh, – it looked like a curtain call moment. Uh, but how did you like this match, Chris? I loved everything about this match. There's not like a single thing I didn't like. It was definitely my match of the weekend. Um, I'm going to just point out a couple things I liked about it because it's for, it's a 43-minute match, so I don't want to – I don't think we need to spend all day on it, um, even though you could if you wanted to break it down move by move. But the story itself <laughs> going into this match I thought was fucking great. So basically, Walter is pissed <laughs> at Tyler and his friends because they like to celebrate victory, and he feels like you shouldn't be a dick when you win. <laughs> Essentially is what I've gathered from the storyline. Am I crazy much on that? Okay, so it's that that to me is like amazing, and it, it points to like you don't have to have stories to make a good match. Walter's pissed because this guy wants to dance around like a jackass, and Walter thinks wrestling should be taken seriously. It almost reminds me of uh, something that like Lance Storm kind of was doing in WCW, and even a little bit when WWE. If I could be serious for a moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, but obviously, you know, Walter is treated on a little higher on the card than what Lance was treated as, well, at least in WWF. But, um, yeah, so that part, that piece of it I thought in itself, and the fact that Walter has been destroying pretty much all of Bates' friends, and, and like you said, Bates is kind of the only person that's taken Walter to the limit, it, it almost feels – and not, not match quality-wise or, like, these guys are bigger stars or anything, but it does remind me of the build that they did with Omega and Okada because that was the storyline. is like, you know, Omega can't beat Okada, but he can take him to the limit every time. Uh, and how long can Okada stand at the top before Kenny finally topples him, especially if he's defending against other people and I think that's a really easy storyline to tell in this as well and I, I don't know if you drew those comparisons but uh, that's kind of what I saw and, and, and probably my favorite thing in this match is when they're doing the yes no punches and the, the, as they call them in WWE or the fight forever punches where they're in the center of the ring they did a take on it that I haven't seen and if I have it's been a really really long time where Tyler Bates would hit like three punches and then Walter would chop the shit out of him and knock him down to the mat. But then he would get back up and he would hit like three punches and then Walter would chop the shit out of him and put him down to the mat. Like that little intricacy where it's so different and the way the crowd reacted was so different. Um, Obviously Walter hating the chants and the crowd chanting, which the crowd I I thought was great on this entire show, but the the crowd chanting Walter is here. Was pretty pretty <laughs> awesome as well. Um, yeah, great fucking match overall. There's like I said, there's very there was one spot where I thought that Tyler Bates had a concussion, and I can't tell if he's just really good at selling. Or oh yeah, the match. I do uh, remember that. that. Ap- it's that apron spot that they had um, on the outside of the ring, which is was fucking terrifying looking. Like it, it, as as much as we talk about the NATO. Um, Golden Lover, fuck, uh, can't think of his name right now. Abushi, uh, Abushi spot yeah. that they did, yeah, where they did that spot on the apron. This one was just as dangerous, if not worse. And these two aren't <laughs> Nato and Kota Abushi doing it on purpose. So I thought they fucked up, but I think that that was the plan. 
Um, well, it wasn't the apron. It was that. It was the ring post spot they did, where he, uh, where Walter was. I guess the idea was that he was going to basically buckle bomb him with a power bomb into the ring post, and it's like he didn't throw him far enough, and the spot looked really fucked up. And it's Walter, so it's almost like that was their plan. You know what I mean? <laughs> if Walter yeah. had to throw Tyler Bates, he'd probably throw him into, like, the seventh row. <laughs> um, outside of that, everything in this match was fucking amazing, great storytelling. I love Walter as a character. I love the celebration going up the ramp and him just standing there because it still plays into that storyline that, like, hey, you don't need your chance. You don't need to dance when you win. You just need to win and, and be almost an Olympic athlete, just celebrate very, very quietly into yourself. And I also love that they all came out, even though, you know, Bates lost, and they were like, hey, fuck that guy. If we want to celebrate, we're going to celebrate, even if we lost. Because it just continues the story, which I, I think is great. Yep, I agree with you. And, and like I said, man, I do think that, especially because of this uh, takeover and how impressed I was, I'd like to see them keep on continuing to strive and get bigger. Uh, their numbers are actually really well uh, over here in America, but they're obviously uh, received well over in the UK. Uh, there are some, some, some talents out there that are not locked down like a Will Ospreay and a Zack Sabre Jr. over in New Japan that I would love to see show up uh, that will gain my interest. And I actually made 10 wrestlers, and then we'll start exiting the show. But uh, Timothy Thatcher, who was just on MLW, Rampage Brown, who's big in Rev Pro and was, I think he's still in World of the Sports if that's even around. Uh, Joe Hendry, uh, Mikey Whiplash, Wade Barrett even, uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr., who's Canadian, but I mean, it's British Bulldog's son. Grado, who does a great job of being like, I don't know, Dusty or, or, or just just a weird fat guy, but BT Gunn and then female wrestlers. Uh, Session Moth, uh, Martina, and Millie McKenzie. I'd love to see any of those wrestlers show up Chris, any last words about uh, NXT UK uh, Cardiff? Great fucking pay-per-view. I definitely recommend watching it. Um, one thing I will say, and I hope that WWE realizes this and they can kind of game off the momentum of this, is it is different than their other products. And there's some very interesting characters there. And now that you're moving three shows to live, this could – Either this or that. I mean, to me, this is like the next thing that you fill in on that that slot that's left open on the network because not everyone has cable TV. So you're opening up a slot for you know just your network viewers to have something original and fun. So hopefully they continue to build on this. And also, I would fucking love to see Session Moth Martinez in NXT UK. And I know she did have a tryout, but we haven't really heard anything since that tryout. Well, we'll have to wait and see. I also was very uh, interesting statement by Walter saying that he would not move to America, but he also uh, would love to do some type of crossover. I think Walter versus Samoa Joe would be a fun, uh, I don't know, maybe a WrestleMania match or something or something like that. But anyways, guys, we got to get out of here. So me and Sleepy Chris, uh, I'll let I'll let you uh, exit out uh, and say goodbye to the audience. Sure. Uh, apologies, Dane. My alarm didn't go off, and I fell asleep. It's a damn shame. Uh, and I apologize to you guys in the audience as well. Hope everyone's having a great weekend. Have fun. Be safe out there. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later. 
Yeah, and it's not a big deal, man. Life happens, and I remember you saying that you were having sleep issues. I was just worried like a like a mom or something. Anyways, you guys have a great <laughs> weekend. Uh, enjoy yourselves. We'll be back Wednesday. Go to our website, geekvibesnation.com, Geek, geekvibesnation.com or GV Nation. Check out all of our news and all of our information when it comes to, you know, any, any news for wrestling and, and comics, comic book movies, video games, everything like that. Also links to our Twitter, our Facebook, and our Instagram. And then you can find links to any of our audio formats, whether it be SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Blog Talk, uh, whatever you want, Spotify, if, if, if we – if, if they play it, we're on it. But anyways, you guys have a great evening. And that's it, man. And that's the bottom line. Just don't go Peace out, everyone. Have a great day. And let the Geek 5 be with you.